What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Dylan Sawyer Show. This is episode five of the podcast. Today we have a very special guest. We got Garrett at All Out Amazon, man himself. Welcome, Garrett. What's up? What's up? Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure, bro. So I want to dive into your story, how you got introduced to Amazon and all the ins and outs. So yeah, we can start there. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of the viewers at this point kind of know my story of getting into Amazon, but to keep it short and sweet, right, this is back in, um, during the COVID times, right? So during COVID, I was working a nine-to-five corporate job during the week uh, and, and serving on the weekends in, in a restaurant, right? Um, COVID comes, shuts down the restaurant, obviously, working from home in the week, but I had all this time on the weekends, right? A couple weeks go by. Saturdays, Sundays, had nothing really to do. I was new to an area. Um, so I was obviously on my phone more, right? Naturally, Instagram, Twitter, s- swiping, just kind of wasting time without really anywhere to go, anything to see. Um, and at some point, I stumbled across, um, I think it was Reezy at the time, Reezy's um, y- uh, book, you know, sourcing videos. Um, and it instantly piqued my interest, right? Um, kept seeing more and more of it. After probably a week, I went to a thrift store. Um, just to kind of replicate what he was doing, right? Not necessarily sure what to expect of it, not necessarily sure what I was doing, but just trying to replicate and, and see what the whole process was about, right? Bought some books, listed them on Amazon, sent them in. The first shipment was awful. Took me probably five hours to send in 50 books. Same. Um, <laughs> but after a week or two, man, the first couple books had sold, and at that point, I was I was pretty convinced of the model, pretty committed to the model. But I knew that the book model wasn't my wasn't my thing, wasn't my gem, right? Yeah. I was making good money at the time, so selling ten dollar books for a fifty cent profit wasn't necessarily going to move the needle for me. Didn't necessarily pique my interest. Um, so I started digging further, right? I, I I knew that there was something to the Amazon business model. I knew there was something to be said for making money on Amazon, but it definitely wasn't four books for me at the time. Um, and at some point, right, then I started digging into the OA or the RA model at the time, right? And so obviously a, a bit more of a scalability factor involved with that, higher priced items, higher profit items. Um, and so again, similar to the business, the, the book thing, went to, I think it was Marshalls or Walmart and just started scanning, right? And this is three and a half years ago, four years ago. And so it's just naturally what I think to be a lot easier to find products in store than it potentially would be now, right? You probably wouldn't be as easily uh, capable of, you know, just scanning the entire toy aisle, finding profit, right? Definitely. But yeah. found some profit RA, um, and at that point it was kind of game on, right? Long story short, started um, driving, diving into RA, was going to Nike outlets, Marshalls, Burlington Coat Factory, pretty much every day after work during the weekend, or weekdays, and then the weekends I would just hit up the outlets, um, and kind of go from there, right? A mm-hmm. couple months in advance, I was I was continuing to scale that RA, RA model, but I, I was sick of driving, right? And so that next transition was then, okay, well, how can I do this without having to drive all over Pennsylvania, without having to put all the gas money in, put all the effort in, the time in, but still kind of reap the same benefits, right? So enter the OA model. Um, and I kind of built up OA for the next two years, right? This probably brings me to 2022, um, we built up OA to probably about 120, 150 consistently. Um, but again, that order efficiency piece came into play, right? At I that time, what was your team looking like? Sorry to cut you off. Um, man, it was just me. Yeah. It was just like, uh, obviously me and my brother doing the same business. Um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty much just us just kind of, just kind of running it. Um, but again, right, I'm a busy guy. I have a lot, of, a lot of stuff going on. So I was looking for that extra efficiency piece that I was the same thing I was seeking from OA to hold, or from RA to OA. 
right? And so the next transition would then be wholesale, right? That ease of purchase piece is is severely underrated, I think, in the, in the social media space. Um, and that's something where wholesale, I think, comes into play, right? Being able to call a sales rep, send an email, place an order for 15,000, 20,000, 10,000, whatever it is, and kind of acquire those products in a lot more of an efficient manner, also with an increased barrier venture, with an increased moat that contributes to some longer stability. And so that, that was kind of that next transition. That was probably in the beginning of this year, 2023. Uh, and then since, call it probably February or April, we've been 100% wholesale ever since. Uh, and then just continuing to refine, continuing to build with that. That's awesome. So did you have any difficulties when transitioning from OA to wholesale? Like, was there any months that were like much lower than when you were doing a lot of OA? Or how did that look? So I didn't necessarily flip the switch, which it probably mm -hmm. would have been quicker if I did. Um, and for me, it was just driving outreach every single, yeah. every single week between brands and, and distribution companies, continuing to keep the pedal down with OA because I didn't want to lose any of that momentum, right? But, of course, OA was the comfort. OA was is what, I, what I knew at the time. And so there was some probably um, restrained growth just because I didn't flip that switch. But I, kn I knew I wanted to continue driving forward with the OA business. Um, but, man, it was painful in the beginning, right? Because I would reach out to 50 brands or 50 distribution companies, not really get any traction with any of them, and then just, you know, I would always find myself kind of itching back to the OA space because I knew I, if I sit down for an hour, two hours, whatever, I can find thousands of dollars of profit, right? But with wholesale, I would sit down for the same time and do this outreach and, and nothing super exciting happens. And so I think that just from a, the viewer's perspective, that's a lot of the you know, setting expectations with getting into wholesale is, is really keeping in mind that it's a, it's a volume game, it's a long game. And you can reach out to 200 brands or 200 companies or whatever the case may be and not really get any traction with any of them. But with the understanding that any one account can change your life, can change your business, right? And that's really kind of the thesis of wholesale is that any single account can change the entire game for you. You just don't know if that account's going to come at the next call or the 50th call or the 200th call or the yeah. 300th call. But you have to keep calling, right? And that's kind of like yeah. the, the mindset that you have to have to ultimately see the benefits of the wholesale model playing up at, at, at scale, right? And so it was super frustrating for a while because I knew how easy OA was at the time and I knew I wanted wholesale, but I just really couldn't crack the code. And really, ultimately, that was what it was. I got the first account, was able to start spending 20, 50,000, increasingly now 100,000. Um, and then just once I established that base, then it's a lot less pressure to add another account, to do some outreach. And ultimately, and Corey talks about this a lot, is, is once you kind of find a niche, it's a lot easier to dive deeper into that niche, right? You can have some brand uh, recognition with, you know, um, reaching out to its competitors and things like that. Um, and so just naturally, once you have a footing in wholesale, I think it's just a lot easier to compound that success furthermore. Yeah, for sure. I definitely agree. I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the thing about uh, the misconception, because I feel like a lot of people think within their first 10 or 20 calls that they're going to find a profitable distributor. For most people, it's going to take 50 to 100 to find even right. a remotely good distributor. And putting in that original legwork is just so important because even I feel this sometimes where I just kind of lean back into the OA just because it's easy, it's comfortable. Right. It, it's really the comfort zone. It's what you know, and you're not going out doing something very new, talking to new distributors and just doing a bunch of cold calls, new introductions. It's, it's much easier for people to go back to that when they really need to push forward to see the long-term benefits of the wholesale model. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's just naturally a lot of discomfort when it comes to wholesale, right? Talking to people. Yeah. We're not adding products to our cart. We're managing and owning a relationship, 
right? Yep. It's not just pressing the plus one and going to five and then ordering it and playing and doing it again, right? It's it's calling and reaching out and developing that trust, right? We talked about it a couple minutes ago on, on a separate call, right? It's it's really establishing that trust, right? Because the biggest barrier of entry to the wholesale space is is really separating yourself from the tens of other people that are doing the same thing, right? There's yeah. these, some of these sales reps, some of these brands and companies get tens of emails a day, if not more. And so it's, it's what are you doing to differentiate yourself? It's what are you doing to build the trust that you're not just some random Amazon seller reaching out and looking to buy their products, right? A lot of times it requires more, right? And so it's yeah. building that trust in the beginning. It's not going to come overnight. And it's ultimately overcoming some of the objections that you're going to receive, right? Because you may send 50 emails, 50 or 30 of them may not respond. 10 of them will get an instant no. Five of them will say, eh, maybe, right? And so it's continuing to follow up with the 30 that don't respond, continuing to, to really dig into the 10 objections that you got, establishing why they objected, why they said no, and then finishing the deal with the ones that were sort of on the fence, right? It's managing that entire pipeline that's really going to make or break your wholesale business, right? Because again, it's not going to be five outreaches that gets the job done. It's, it's hundreds of, of outreaches and compounded effort over the course of months and months. Yeah, and one thing that a lot of people mistake is they're not following up enough. That's right. probably one of the most important parts about getting an account. I mean, Corey's talked about this before. One of his best accounts, he says he took three years of following up every mm -hmm. few months before he got that. And if they see you following up for years and years or even a few months, they're going to know that you're a serious buyer and you're going to want to do a long-term business with them. So putting in that work and really just keeping track of everything and following up is one of the most important parts of running a wholesale business. You mentioned earlier how you've kind of niched down some. So are you focusing on like one or two categories or are you kind of just looking for anything that's profitable? Yeah, so we're, we're, we do well in the beauty, beauty category as well as sports and outdoors, right? A lot of the brands that we work with um, are like around the hobbies, right? And so- yeah. From a brand approach, there's hundreds of different brands, and kind of our specialty is working with and reaching out to brands that are in like the camping, the cycling, the rock climbing, the hobby niches, where there's not a ton of volume, but there's three to five, seven brands that exist on the listing. Um, enough competition to withstand another two offers or so. Um, and that's kind of where we dig into, right? Because we're not reaching out to the big Nikes, the Under Armors, the, the big, 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 like Kellogg, the big grocery brands. It's yeah. really reaching out to uh, the brands that, that we can relate to, right? That we can really uh, establish ourselves with, right? And add value to, right? Those are the sorts of brands that we love reaching out to, as well as just some of like the bigger beauty brands as well. Um, but those two approaches both, um, from a brand direct perspective, are, are kind of where we make our money. Um, and, and just kind of from a, a macro brand direct per perspective, the reason why I've kind of honed in on the brand direct approach um, from really the beginning was just like the qualification piece, right? If I, a lot of my wholesale sourcing starts with Amazon, right? I can identify using Keeper Product Finder or Smart Scout or whatever, a list of products, obviously, that represent a brand that have a certain sales rank, a certain level of competition, a certain level of stability inside the market, whether Amazon's in or out of the product or not, and specific price points, right? And so once I understand what sort of data I'm looking for that represents specific products or uh, uh, represents specific brands, well, then I can just map back to brands, reach out to them, and then position myself with that brand, already knowing and already having confidence in the data, right? So then ultimately when I'm putting in effort for that account, if I win the account, well, it's game on, right? Because I've already have trusted, I already have qualified the data, 
right? And so that's more of a valued, uh, just from an efficiency perspective to me, yeah. approach than reaching out blindly to 50, 100 distribution companies and just hoping and praying, right? Because the one downfall, although it's probably a lot easier to open the accounts with wholesale distribution companies, the one downfall is that we can't really qualify up front, right? If I yeah. open an account with a wholesale distribution company um, and I get the catalog, there's going to be really three buckets of products inside that catalog. Products that are on Amazon that do well, products that are not on Amazon, and then products that are on Amazon that don't do well, right? And so when I'm reaching out to that, when I'm putting in the effort, the legwork to open up the account, I don't really have an idea, an ideology in terms of what to expect within that catalog. And so just naturally, the unfortunate reality with the, dis dis with the distribution model is that I'm going to open up a lot of catalogs that are, are very uninteresting. Right, and that's sort of like the the different approaches and, and kind of the one that we've found um, honed in on. Yeah, for sure. I think I think the brand direct route is by far more superior than the distributor route, and there's so many different reasons for that. It's pricing. You're gonna have better pricing. You're gonna be in closer with the brand because there's some distributors that sell 200 brands. 50 of those might not want third-party Amazon sellers yep. and could send you an IP complaint. They can do a lot of different things to try and take you down. Cease and desist is another one. Uh, and when you're working with the brand, you have their approval. They know what you're doing. You're getting the best pricing. You're working straight to the top. It's the best connection that you can possibly have. And that's going to be the most long-term scalable model. What do you think about people who want to jump straight into wholesale, skip OA, skip RA? Do you recommend that? Or do you think people should kind of start RA, OA, and then go to wholesale? I mean, it's interesting, right? Because I mean, people ask me stuff like this a lot. And I, I think there's a couple different scenarios, and it's based on the person, right? If we compare, you know, three different situations, person one that has maybe $20,000 to their name, $30,000 that they're willing to commit to this business. Well, in that scenario, I'd probably be a lot more um, um, uh, recommending, recommending of the wholesale approach just because you have a lot more leverage. In wholesale, you have way more authority to ask for bigger discounts with the ability to place bigger orders, yeah. right? That's not to say you can't be successful with the wholesale model with $3,000, but it's no, it's not a, um, it, it's very obvious that just from a, a bigger sample size, you're going to be able to open more accounts and you're going to be able to get bigger discounts with larger orders, right? It's just harder to find wholesale accounts with better pricing when you're placing $500 orders, $700 orders, that sort of thing, right? But the main driver of a wholesale model is, is going to be the data, right? That's why the, the, if in a perfect scenario, I would have someone start with OA or RA just to get fluent with the data, really understand what makes up specific products, what you're looking for, what maybe are the, some of the red flags that suggest a product won't do well compared to some of the, some of the products that really do well. Um, but you can gain that data fluency in a couple months or maybe invest in some coaching or dive into the content on YouTube or Twitter, right? A lot of content's available. So to the person that maybe has 20,000 that they're willing to commit to the business, I think wholesale is the way to go, right? Because you have that leverage, you have that capital, you just need the data piece, but you can solve for that in a couple months. Now to the person that's starting, looking to start with maybe 2,000, kind of like how I alluded to before, I would probably start in a little bit of a slower approach, a little bit with OA, RA, et cetera, right? Because with RA, it's gonna be a lot of the higher margin products, a lot of the quicker products, um, and you can turn that two thousand into four thousand in a couple months, and that four thousand yeah. or ten thousand in a couple more months. And now you have ten thousand and the fluency to now start to transition into wholesale. Uh, and you don't ne necessarily need to do a you know cold turkey. 
go completely into wholesale, maybe slowly but surely start to onboard some of the more, uh, some of the outreach week in, week out, and start to pick up an accounts here and there, right? And so to the $3,000, you know, capital person that's looking to get into the business, probably RIOA to start, and then start to shift your perspective into wholesale as you gain the fluency, as you gain the experience, uh, and that sort of thing, right? Because sure. the unfortunate reality with wholesale is that, again, kind of like we've alluded to, you can put three months of effort in with no results, right? Yeah. 200 accounts you reach out to, nothing really super interesting, right? You don't necessarily know if that 201st one is going to work out for you or the first or the 301st, right? Um, but also, there's just a lot of longer-term money, right? I can place an order. It's going to be really good, but that order may not be fulfilled in another three weeks or a month or 45 days, right? And so for the person that only has $3,000, investing in an order that's not going to be fulfilled in 45 days, it's a tough ask. Whereas the alternative is buy some OA products, get those moving, or do some RA, get those moving, and, and iterate faster. Wholesale is just going to result in a lot of a slower iteration. And for the person that's getting started with a really tight budget, I think RA always the move. I definitely agree with that. Wholesale is a much more delayed success, mm -hmm. but in the end, it's much more rewarding once you find that account. And another thing is for these people with only a few thousand, a lot of these wholesalers, their MOQ is 20, 25,000. Like one of the best distributors I've found that focuses on electronics, they won't even take a new order for a brand unless it's 50,000 minimum. And to get those accounts with really, really good pricing, sometimes you just have to put up that much money and there's really no other way around it. It's hard for them to take you serious if you can't buy a pallet worth of inventory. Right. One thing I wanted to ask you about is I'm, I'm pretty sure you've had a warehouse in the past, right? Right. So what do you think about prep centers versus warehousing? I mean, and so this is a personal preference. I would never go back yeah. to a warehouse. Um, yeah, me neither. <laughs> I, I, no one could pay me enough money to house a warehouse or, or, or own a warehouse. Or We had a prep center for a bit, but, uh, man, I just don't think it's worth it. I would rather eliminate small and light from my perspective have and have the entire process outsourced, not have to worry about managing a team, not have to think about the products, not have to think about receiving them, prepping them, anything, right? Just have a team that is responsible for it know that they're getting taken care of and know they're going out in a timely manner. For me, not having that whole process take up any mental energy allows me to commit some of my energy elsewhere, right? Do some other things I want to do, coaching, content, all that sort of stuff. Um, so for me, that's kind of the, 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 the method that works. Um, it kind of just contributes to the best quality of, of each of my days. Um, but again, everyone's different, right? For someone that's 18, getting started has a lot more time and not as much money. Wholesale, might, or the, the warehouse might be the move. Right, because it, again, it opens you up to the small and light. It opens you up to FBM. Right, it opens you up to a lot of these things that is not realistic for someone that's not doing their own prep. Right, so it depends. It, it depends on the, on the person how much time they're willing to commit to actually touching products, um, and understanding that every time you touch a product, it's a lower value activity. Right. Yep. Having someone handle all my prep is is eighty cents an, eighty cents a unit. Right, out the door. So I can account for that in everything I do. Right. For sure. I'm in the exact same boat. I had the warehouse for about a year and a half. It's just so much time and money goes into that. When you look back, once you're all prep centers, you're like, wow, why did I even do that? I could have been doing so many other things. And getting out of the warehouse has opened me up to a lot of new opportunities as well, like starting content, making YouTube videos, all of this stuff I would have not been able to do. I would have been at the warehouse today until 730 or however oh, yeah. long, just grinding it out, watching over employees, 
it's so much more work than just to have it outsourced, especially when you have a prep center that just does a flat rate. You can just put that into your seller amp mm-hmm. and see, okay, it's a dollar off for prep and boom. All right, it's profitable, yes or no. And you're not really thinking about all of this other stuff when you have a warehouse. And But even, I mean, even still, right? So um, some people say, well, why don't you just get a team, a manager, whatever, and you don't have to touch, you don't have to deal with it, and now you're still baking, reaping the benefits of the small amount and everything like that. But it still takes up your, it, it still takes up yeah. space in your mind, right? What yeah. happens when your two employees call it sick? Well, now you had driving into the warehouse and having to deal with it. What happens when there's issues? What happens when the manager quits? What happens when all these things come up that you don't necessarily forecast in the beginning because you don't account for them, right? And so there's just so many different things with a whole warehouse situation when you have to take ownership of it. Even if you have a team in place that could come up to the result in, and you still toting, it, toting yourself in there and having to deal with it. For sure. I know a handful of people who have it outsourced where they have manager, employee, and all that. They're still spending at least an hour a day on the phone with the manager talking yeah. over what's coming in. And there's, there's really no way to do it on your own and not have any effort or not even think about it, really. But with prep centers, man, all I really have to do is just order my products. The VA puts it in my order sheets. Then he communicates that to the prep center. I'm not really in the weeds of looking no, at not, individual products. And it, it's much better to take that just outside looking in approach rather than being in the grind but i I definitely see for some people it's worth it like if if you're just getting out of school and you're ready to grind and you want to prep yourself do a lot of fbm i can see how you want to have a warehouse but i feel like most people after a couple years realize like okay it's time for me to step back a little bit and look at the bigger picture and just take this completely off of my hands. And mm-hmm. that's I think that's one of the best decisions I've made in this business. I, I wish I went straight to prep centers from the start. I've put a lot oh, more yeah. time into product research now. I, I'm able to do so much more, and I'm kind of just free now. I'm not locked into a location. I can send wherever I want to. That was another thing. I was paying sales tax on a lot of items. I wasn't in Delaware, New Jersey, one of these tax-free states. So I was doing a lot of OA and paying tax when I shouldn't have been. And I was paying for warehouse prep, all of that. So it was kind of a, a double expense. Like I, I really shouldn't have been doing that at all, but it's, it's a learning process and I'm, I'm glad that I did it. I don't regret it. Yeah. I mean, for me, I've stunted, I stunted so much growth just by having to commit time hours uh, and days in the warehouse. And then ultimately with, with the prep center approach, like there's just so much flexibility, right? Like our biggest suppliers in North Carolina, right? And, we can open up a prep center in, or we, or we can uh, enlo- enroll in a prep center in North Carolina if we wanted to, and have that shipping be completely taken care of, right? Yeah. If we have, if we found a supplier in Oregon, right? Instead of being locked into shipping all that stuff into the same a warehouse that you own, right? If I wanted to, I can find a, an, a prep center in Oregon, right? Or California, or, you know, wherever the case may be, especially with wholesale. It- It's funny. I literally did that today. I did that today. So I had a distributor in California where it was too expensive for it to go all the way to New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And I have the pallets ready. I opened up a 3PL new account two hours ago in Oregon, and they're going to handle all of that for me. Don't have to pay the extra shipping. And I I literally opened it up within a 10-minute phone call. It's, It's that simple. And having that locked in location is rough when you have pallets coming from california let's say it's gonna be triple the cost to ship it there it would have been just cheaper to send it to a prep center in the first place it's it's, it's a much easier game when you're when you're running with all prep centers and it's a huge benefit for us because we don't have to worry about specific states 
right? We're yeah. not locked into just the no sales tax states, Delaware, Oregon, whatever. Where we can find a, a prep center, or a warehouse anywhere. Like my yeah. my prep centers in Massachusetts, right? Because that I mean that's just like the the cheapest rates to be found, et cetera, et cetera, right? But because I mean it doesn't necessarily matter that it's in Massachusetts because everything is no sales tax anyways. Yeah, for sure. One thing I wanted to ask you about is content. So I know you put a lot of time into making content. What does your day kind of look like? How much time are you spending on that versus on the Amazon business? Man, most of it is in content. Most of it's you know on calls yeah. like this, um, just getting out, getting to know people, networking, that sort of thing. Um, between you know recording YouTube videos, putting out tweets, Instagram reels, the whole nine. I mean, that's most of the time that I invest into the Amazon business. For yeah. uh, for at the in terms of the actual business nowadays, it's it's a lot of just reordering, right? We don't do too too yeah. too much outreach at this point. A lot of that's in the past. Maybe a, a, a specific strategic account here and there. Uh, but man, a lot of it's just driving content forward to continue to network, continue to help people, um, and then just placing the reorders and kind of just managing the, the inventory level, so to speak. For sure. Content is something that I didn't expect to take up so much time, but it does. I man, put it takes a lot, a lot like, of time. threads and reels. Like It's a lot of stuff that adds up because you want to be active on all platforms, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and being able to do that takes a lot of upfront work. Uh, what, what does your team look like on the content side of things? Do you have any virtual assistants for that? Yeah, so I have a, a virtual assistant that, that edits the YouTube videos. I have someone else that does the um, the thumbnails. Um, and then just some, some help that uh, repurposes content on different platforms and things like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that from a content perspective, it, it helps when you can repurpose as much as possible, right? Like yeah. chopping up YouTube videos into shorts, Right, mm-hmm. chopping up live streams. Obviously, we, we both do them with Miles into yeah. reels and short form content you can put on Twitter and shorts on YouTube. It's so beneficial to be able to repurpose as much as you can, right? Putting your tweets, uh, like we kind of talked about offline a couple of days ago, putting your tweets and threads onto Instagram, right? As much of that as possible is going to benefit your, your big picture and continuing to drive your brand forward. Uh, I mean, so that part is huge. And obviously, having as much assistance with that as possible just allows you to continue to commit time to the highest lever, right? Which from a content perspective is it's development. It's writing yep. threads, it's shooting the videos, it's meeting with people that are high level people, and it's getting on calls and streams and all these sorts of things that move the brand forward rather than just having to click different pieces of content and put them here and there and everywhere. 100%. That's that's what I've realized as well. Like my, my dad was helping me out doing thumbnails and editing and we realized that it's too much time for him. It would be more beneficial for him to just help me shoot more content or do more podcasts with me and to get that outsourced. So I got a thumbnail editor now and then I, I'm putting out a job post to get a video editor as well to take that off. And then just to focus on repurposing more content, like you were saying, it's just so important to do that across all the platforms. Because if you're making individual pieces of content for every type of thing that you do, it's a little bit too much work when someone who might not even watch your YouTube video could come across that Instagram reel or YouTube short or anything like that. It just it just makes everyone's life easier. Man, I mean, that's, I mean, that's one of the biggest kind of pieces, I think, like uh... – processes of maturity for me as I've kind of grown in, in my business entrepreneurship is is just leveraging people, right? Leveraging yeah. people who do certain things very, very well, right? We wouldn't commit months to months, months and months to learning how to do taxes, right? We hire an accountant. Yeah, We have exactly. someone fix our car when it's broken, right? Why would we then learn how to cut up videos or learn how to do thumbnails or, 
or learn how to, uh, obviously we were talking about you having someone that's helping you with your content. It doesn't make sense to commit time to doing and learning all these sorts of things when we know what we do well, we focus on that, and leverage other people who have expertises in those areas. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I've learned over the past couple of years and kind of really growing businesses and development uh, is just being able to leverage people that are smarter than me and more sp specific and specified in certain areas. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up too. Like a point about the taxes, like nobody's doing that. You need to do that for pretty much all business models, for Amazon, for content, whatever it is, you need to put people in place that are better than you so that you don't even have to think about that even more. Even if they're not better than you, if they're, if they're 80%, it's better than you doing it at 100%. As long as it's outsourced and taken off your hands, it's a better approach. But to kind of wrap up here, one thing I wanted to ask you about is your fitness journey, doing the Ironman, and that the thread that you posted last month about like what motivated you to start running and all of that. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, obviously, I, I put up the, the thread. Uh, kind of, I won't get into the entire backstory, but the biggest kind of driver for me with, with fitness is, is just like the process, right? It's not yeah. necessarily like beating specific individuals or, or running, or you know what I'm saying? It's, it's the process of, of showing up every day. And I think that's what a lot of people should, I wish a lot of people would understand is that if you really want to level up your, your business, it, I mean, go run a marathon, right? Because the process yeah. of, of showing up every day, it's not going to happen overnight. One run is not going to get you ready for that race. Two runs is not going to get you ready for that race. But it's the discipline and the kind of the change in your, your being it's that formative process that happens over four, five, six months of a training prep that's ultimately going to change your life, right? It's having the discipline to show up when it's cold, when it's rainy, when you're tired, when your legs hurt, when your feet hurt, all these sorts of things, and showing up when you don't want to. And I think that's really applicable to what we do in business, right? Yeah. It's showing up and being able to write the thread when you're tired or, or doing all the sorts of things we don't necessarily feel like when it's not all glamorous, right? Things are going to happen, especially with Amazon, especially with all the account health stuff that we could potentially have to deal with. Right, stuff get, has the potential to get really ugly really quick, and I think developing that callus, developing that kind of disciplined callus, where you can show up and you have confidence that you can do something even when you don't want to, I think that's a, a really applicable thing. That, and the only reason I've, the only way I've ever learned to develop that is is doing hard things that take a while to accomplish, right? Uh, and that's kind of the biggest growth that I've seen. From a fitness perspective, that directly applies to what we do in business. It's, it's really developing that discipline, really developing that commitment and that long-term perspective, right? Because growing your business is not going to happen overnight, right? You're not going to have the multi-million dollar business after a week. It's going to come after years and years of showing up. It's the same thing. It's all interconnected, right? And so that's why fitness and especially endurance sports have so many different parallels to what we're doing in business, right? Because it's all of those things that I've kind of laid forth and it's simply showing up every single day, time after time, when all the other factors are coming into play. For sure. I, I think that fitness and for me specifically, it was basketball. Before mm -hmm. I started my business, that really helped develop my discipline. And I, I would go play in the gym every day after school, two to three hours a day, just drills, shoot, shooting free throws, just trying to get better every day. And that really prepared me to get into the business world and give it my all 100% of the time. And that's something I, I kind of regret. I've kind of lost that a little bit. I haven't yeah. really done too much fitness stuff recently. But it's something I've gotten back into in the past like couple months or so, just going on walks and runs consistently. Um, it, it's something I definitely want to get back into, get in peak physical shape. Because if you're in good physical shape, your mental is going to be good as well. And that, that's really important. Well, I mean, it's, it's scientifically proven, right? If you yeah. start your day off with a run or just some sort of 
um, metabolic activity. Well, it sets your it releases actual endorphins in your body that that last all day that produce impro that improve productivity and improve mental state and all these sorts of things, right? It's not just some talking head on the internet saying these things. It's actually phys like scientifically proven, right? Yeah. That physical activity improves all aspects of your life, and I, again, I think that's just something that a lot more people I wish would get and understand and have the confidence in and have the buy-in to, right? Because it, w it would ultimately change your life and their business. For sure. Well, Garrett, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, we, we shot a little over 30 minutes. Wow, it went by quick. But l let them know where people can find you. Yeah, so I'm active on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Twitter and Instagram is going to be all out Amazon. I put out daily content on each of those. And then some of the longer form stuff, obviously, you can 